It's the least wonderful time of the year. With rich white housewives barking and no fucking parking, you better steer clear. It's actually, no, it's not that bad of a time of year because it is the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades Christmas special, everybody. The, the hap, hap, happiest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. <laughs> Amen to that. I'm Rob North, sitting across from a right jolly old elf. Your co-host, Chris Miller. That's right. And today, as you probably guessed, we are going to be talking about Christmas. We're going to be talking about weird Christmas, We're going to be talking about weird Christmas. Look, we all know the truth that Christmas is a mournful, shitty holiday. And despite the fact that we don't quite get that here in modern times in the U.S., but way back when and in other places, they, they certainly did. So that's why today we're talking about the darker, stranger origins of the holiday and some of its figures and some of the stranger and wackier beliefs and practices that center around the Yuletide season from around the world. Chris, what are your thoughts on Christmas? I'm a big Christmas guy. Yeah? I love Christmas. I unabashedly love Christmas. I have multiple Christmas trees in my house. He, he really does. I, I do. I mean, but one has a bunch of like little glittery skulls on it, and the other yeah. one's just Star Wars. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also going to post a picture of Chris's nativity scene. It's good this year. It's good. It's good this it's year. It's good in this year. I'm not a huge fan of Christmas. I'm, I'm a fan of like the giving and receiving of gifts and being around family and the food and all that. The kind mm. of stuff that most people are fans of. Right. Just I, I like else. the tacky shit, too. It drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, I know. So... I'd say let's go right into it. Yeah, so let's let's, go for it. let's talk about the darker roots of the Christmas holiday. So Christmas, as we all know, has its roots in the winter solstice festivals of pre-Christian European societies. In fact, the date of December 25th as Christ's date of birth wasn't set down until Pope Julius did so through a papal bull in 340 AD, and the best reason for that was the date coincided with not only the week of the first day of winter, celebrated in the stone circles and tombs of Europe for millennia previously, but with two major winter festivals that were celebrated by the dominant cultural forces in Europe at that time, both of which proved that having a massive Christmas Day piss-up and acting the ass wasn't the idea of that one uncle you have. So we have we have the Roman Festival of Saturnalia and the Norse Festival of Yule. So let's start with Saturnalia. Saturnalia begins every year on December 19th, and it lasted an entire week. Holy crap, right now it's December 19th. It is. Oh my god! It is. It celebrated the festival of the Titan Saturn, who was a god that preceded the creation of the Mount Olympus gods, and he was the god of agriculture, wealth, plenty, renewal, and dissolution, who wielded a massive scythe and at one point devoured his own kids. So this holiday was celebrated with a massive feasts fueled with huge amounts of wine, a carnival atmosphere, and a focus on overconsumption and debauchery, as many Roman holidays absolutely Yeah, I were. feel like that like that was like even like Roman Arbor Day and Earth mm-hmm. Day. There was always an orgy. Roman President's Day. Yeah, sure. You know. So, gambling outdoors was permitted. Prostitutes were allowed to practice their trade outside of the brothels, and masters provided table service for their slaves. Given that the holiday was meant to celebrate the coming New Year and the cycle of planting and harvesting beginning once again, huge public sacrifices would be made at the temples and in the public squares. Killing animals such as goats, oxen, and ducks in a particularly bloody way, often to read their entrails. And public games were almost always held at all the amphitheaters to watch gladiators fight it out in gruesome combat, to watch exotic animals fight hunters or each other. And as always, you had the public execution of criminals, escaped slaves, or prisoners of war in front of all the baying crowds. Now, all of this bloodletting was to appease Saturn to offer times of plenty in the coming new year. Now, the lighter side of the holiday included the giving of gifts, such as toys for children, household goods, and small devotional figurines of gods and goddesses known as sigillaria, 
and also the gifting of small bits of verse and prose uh, that one could kind of compare to greeting cards today. But you also had all of the debauchery. The, so, you're saying that Christmas was just made up by Saturn as an excuse to sell prose. Pretty much. Yeah, just like yeah. Valentine's Day and Hallmark, man. Oink, oink, you capitalist pig. <laughs> so the debauchery would be presided over by a nominated king of Saturnalia, usually a young nobleman whose job it would be to entertain the, fast, the feasting crowds by issuing capricious and ridiculous commands that had to be obeyed much like the Lord of Misrule in later medieval festivals. And any command had to be obeyed, such as strip naked and sing this song or throw her into the fountain, so long as blood wasn't shed. Now, later in the days of the Roman Empire, the last day of Saturnalia was celebrated with the more somber feast of the birth of Saul Invictus, the later Roman god of the sun and patron of soldiers, which fell on December 25th. So, naturally, once the Roman Empire became Christianized... And December 25th had been established for centuries as a holiday, and a holiday of the birth of a central god figure. Naturally, the later church has an easy route in to finding the day on which you can celebrate the birth of Christ. Now let's move on to the pagan Norse festival of Yule. And I love Yule. Yeah. Yeah, Yule's pretty rad. Yeah. So it's celebrated by the Norse of Scandinavia and many of the Germanic peoples of northern Europe, such as the Saxons, the Angles, the Franks, and the Jutes. Uh, Yule is a weeks-long festival that was celebrated from the middle of December through to the middle of January and was celebrated for many of the same reasons as Saturnalia, such as the coming New Year and the renewal of the harvest cycle, but it had a much bigger focus on the dead, with the day of the winter solstice often being spent as a day of remembering those lost in the previous year and taking place on the uh, the shortest day of the year, and as the weather gets to be its coldest, is part of the death period of the life cycle that ties into agriculture. Feasting, drinking, toasting, the telling of stories and sagas, all of these were part of the celebrations, but where things get a little darker and uh, are the other events that are tied in with midwinter in these cultures, particularly when it comes to the spirit world and what the Norse did to counter them. It said that midwinter was the time of the rising of the draugur, or reanimated corpses that would walk <laughs> the earth at night, <laughs> hoping to claim some of those still living to join them in their unquiet afterlife. <laughs> We got Christmas zombies. <laughs> I love it. Now, mid- I, I know this is a podcast and there's like there's not video of this, but I really wish you could have seen Rob's face when he said that. What the Draugr? <laughs> what posture changed? No, it's incredible. <laughs> oh man! Oh, Merry Christmas, guys! Merry Christmas! <laughs> now, midwinter was also said to be the time of the coming of the Wild Hunt or the Uskarai. A massive cavalcade made up of spirits of the dead, fey creatures, and the denizens of Asgard, the realm of the gods, that would ride through the sky at night on phantom steeds, with black-haired ghostly hounds baying, horns sounding, and strains of high-pitched song and chanting making a hellish din. That is metal as fuck. Yeah. No, it's think think a Viking war band meets a Yoko Ono concert. It's like, it's just the cover of like every Molly Hatchet album. Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's metal. Well, the, the idea of, like, the Wild Hunt and, and these ancient Norse traditions played a lot into, like, the development of Norwegian black metal. Right. So, yeah, it gets really, really fun. Now, if one encountered the Wild Hunt, it was said to foretell of impending disasters such as war, plague, or famine, or at best the death of the person who encountered it. <laughs> at best. <laughs> or the spirit of the person would be pulled from their body to join the eternal hunt. 
So to help avoid these supernatural threats, people would carry charms to protect themselves from encountering these spirits and would offer up sacrifices of blood and meat to Odin or Wotan to intercede on their behalf and protect them from the spirits. I should point out also, Odin was the leader of the wild hunt. Mm -hmm. Now, part of these sacrifices would be the ritual slaughter of slaves to appeal to the denizens of Asgard. Ritual sexual rites would also be practiced as a form of devotion to the gods, as would be the wearing of masks, chanting, dancing, and the placing of sigils outside doorways to ward off the evil spirits, much as with the pagan roots of Halloween with the holiday of Samhain. Now, the figure of Odin as the leader of the Wild Hunt would also seem to play into the folklore of St. Nicholas in later centuries and the figure of Sinterklaas, as parallels can be drawn between the white horse that St. Nicholas would ride and Odin's white steed Sleipnir, and with St. Nicholas being accompanied by dark helpers, whereas Odin had a pair of ravens named Hugin and Munin, who would perch at the chimneys of the houses being overflown by the Wild Hunt and inform Odin of the good and evil deeds of the mortals contained therein. Now, eventually, as the power and grip of Christianity expanded throughout Europe, the church took the path of least resistance with the populations newly under their sway, melded the festival of the birth of their special little desert wizard with the timing and practices already in place with their previous holidays. And so, slowly but surely, over the centuries, things turned into the Christmas we, be, we celebrate today, but we do still see vestiges of the old practices in the form of mistletoe, which was said to have been the wood of which Christ's cross was made, and an arrow made of mistletoe wood killed the Norse god Baldur on midwinter. And we also have the Yule Log, which is said to have roots in the logs that Norse people would have blessed by priestesses in order to light the fires used to keep the Draugr at bay, or perhaps having roots in the fires lit during the mid uh, during the ancient midwinter rebirth rites. So yeah, that's the that's the fun little roots of Christmas, right? That's you where know, really coming from. Keeping it light. Keeping Remember it that whenever somebody reminds you of the the real meaning of Christmas and the the reason for the season, it's that you needed a magic log to keep the gods from murdering you. Yeah, and keep Christ in Christmas. Well, I say keep <laughs> Thor in Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the darker side of St. Nicholas. Let's just talk about some weird Santa Claus shit. Let's, let's get it. into weird Santa. So long before we had the fat, jolly, chimney-diving pervert that we all know and love today, long before Coca-Cola gave him his famous look in 1931, uh, that being the first, first portrayal of him in red and white, that belief, that's actually bullshit. Uh, long before he was known as Sinterklaas in the Low Countries, or the Clement Clark Moore poem told us the story of a man witnessing a breaking and entering in his own home, there was St. Nicholas. In addition to being the central saintly figure of the Christmas season, well, besides the obvious other guy, Nick was the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, reformed thieves, those standing falsely accused in court, children, students, pawnbrokers, and... Brewers of beer. He seems a busy dude. Busy man. Yeah. You know what? Here's yeah, the, the patron saint of brewers. Here's the St. Nicholas. Here's the St. Nicholas being a patron saint of brewers. Cheers. Hmm. A quick little interlude. What are we drinking today? Uh, in a, a return to last week's forum, we yeah. are drinking Fathead's Holly Jolly Christmas Ale. We are indeed. Ooh, yeah, it's delicious. It's a delicious one. Again, Fatheads, if you guys are listening, send us some beer and we'll talk about it. Yep. So St. Nicholas was said to have been born in Turkey around 280 AD to wealthy parents and grew up to be the Bishop of Myra, uh, the city of Myra, in the meantime being cast into prison under the Roman Emperor Diocletian, who did not like Christians. Uh, he was released upon the accession of Constantine the Great to the throne and was an attendant and, uh, or sorry, uh, was an attendant of the famed Council of Nicaea, where for the first time a consensus on, uh, consensus on what the official tenets of Christianity actually were, were determined. 
But what makes St. Nicholas the unlikely figure to turn into the Santa Claus of today were some of the darker stories in his life, most of which were laid down in his first official hagiography, or, or saint's biography, written several centuries after his death by a guy with the sweet-ass name of Michael the Archimandrite. Sweet. <laughs> So the first story centers around Nicholas's actually cool habit of distri- uh, distributing his late parents' wealth to the needy. Nicholas heard of a devout man, because what's the point of helping somebody if they're not devout, and actually bringing in new congregants in through acts of kindness, uh, who had been wealthy but had lost all his money through, quote, the plotting and envy of Satan. The man had three daughters and could not afford a dowry for them to marry men of proper standing, mean they would, meaning they would remain unmarried, most likely forced to become prostitutes. Uh, and after hearing of the girl's plight and hoping to avoid them selling themselves into slavery and instead helping their father pay someone else to take them into a very similar arrangement, Nicholas, too modest to help them publicly, went to the house under cover of night and for three nights in a row cast small bags of gold down the chimney. Uh, in later medieval retellings, the bags landed in the women's stockings as they were drying by the fire. And that, it is said, can be confirmed as where the stockings hanging on the mantelpiece comes from. Another story has St. Nicholas appearing to the Emperor Constantine in a dream to warn him of the consul uh, Ablabius accepting a bribe to put three famous generals to death in spite of their actual innocence, forcing Constantine to sentence Ablabius to death, although Nicholas once again appeared in a dream, this time to Ablabius, forcing him to release the generals, repent for fear of hell, and convert to Christianity. Now the third story tells of a malicious butcher who, during a terrible famine, lured three children to his house, killed them, cut them into pieces, placed their remains in a barrel of brine to cure, and intended to sell the meat to make a profit during the famine. Now, Nicholas, visiting for the reason of caring for the hungry, saw through the butcher's lies and resurrected the children. Now, ancient ancient Christian scholar Jonah Landering states that this is a later medieval story and helpfully adds that the story is without any historical value. So, thanks for that, Jonah. The <laughs> story that involves... We got that chopped cleared, up, cleared right up. Yeah, chopped up, brine-cured children <laughs> being resurrected by Santa doesn't have any historical value. Yeah, we really can't... We can't, we can't track down the tax records, or there was nothing in the local papers yeah. that day. <laughs> now, we know St. Nicholas was real, because he's, he's in Roman <laughs> records of the time. Right. Yeah, we actually know he was real. Um, now, legend also has him punching the primary Arian bishop at the Council of Nicaea in the face after he lost his temper with yep. the Arians' heresies and was placed in a cell, had his mitre and pallium revoked. But Christ and the Virgin Mary appeared in his cell, and Nicholas says he was in prison for loving them. So they free him from his chains and restore his vestments, despite the protestations of the Emperor Constantine. And now after his death, Nicholas's body was interred in a church in his old bishopric of Mira, uh, which is in Turkey, uh, where it's said that his remains would exude a clear, watery liquid that smelled of roses and had miraculous healing powers. And now after the Byzantine Empire lost control of the area to the Seljuk Turks, access to St. Nicholas's remains were limited, but in 1087, a group of sailors from Bari in Italy took advantage of the post-war confusion and seized the remains over the objectives or over the objections of the Orthodox monks and returned the, the bones to Bari with the approval of Pope Urban II. Now, some of these bones were later stolen by Venetian soldiers during a later war between Venice and the Normans who controlled Bari, and so some of St. Nicholas's bones have ended up scattered 
all over Europe. And churches and reliquaries all over the place. So after his death, St. Nicholas's feast day becomes the 6th of December. And on this day, it's said that St. Nick rides through the streets on a white horse, dispensing gifts to good and godly children by placing them in their shoes, while his assistants give out punishments or tokens of disdain. Uh, and as the cult of St. Nicholas spread through Northern Europe and the Low Countries, he becomes the figure of Sinterklaas, uh, which is a Dutch word. Um, although these gift-giving celebrations were suppressed by the Protestant Reformation as they wanted to eliminate the worship of saints, but these celebrations never fully disappeared and had a resurgence in later centuries. As the United States is formed, large numbers of Dutch and German immigrants come across the sea. The figure of Santa Claus that we know today slowly morphs into the coke-swilling, fat, jolly bastard who brings Nintendo DSs to screaming, ignorant brats. <laughs> and since kids are a nightmare, I think we should bring up, uh, bring back some of the some of Santa's fucked up little helpers. I love, I love the yin to the yang quality of it. Like, yeah, I think we need fun. that. I I love it. I think it's way better than getting coal in your stocking. Mm -hmm. Which like eh, getting coal in your stocking, oh, that kind of sucks. But like some of these other guys we're gonna talk about, <laughs> you're yeah, getting coal in your stocking. Gets, yeah, this is where a lot of the historical shit goes out the window, and it becomes just a lot of fun. Yeah, we're gonna talk about weird regional shit now. Yeah. So lots of different communities have had stories develop of somebody accompanying St. Nicholas as he travels around to bestow gifts on all the children, and most of them aren't very pleasant little figures. No, no. Now we'll get to our personal favorite at the end of the episode. I want to save him for absolute last, but in the meantime, there are some others that caught my attention. We're going to start with a guy named Necht Ruprecht, or, Server Rupert, or Servant Rupert, uh, who is a figure in Germany's Bavaria and Franconia regions who accompanies St. Nick on his rounds. And he's probably the lightest of the helper figures, as he appears as a bearded man in a long fur cloak covered in pea vines. Uh, according to tradition, Ruprecht asks children if they know their prayers, and if they do, they receive nuts, apples, and gingerbread. If they do not, Ruprecht beats them with a bag of ashes that he carries on his belt. Now, I can't imagine that would be too bad. Yeah, it, it seems okay. Like it's a, it's a decent start, but we're, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Step, step in the, in the, right, step direction. In the right direction. At least some kids are getting hit. Yeah, he's just a dirty man that kind of beats you around yeah. a little bit. Now we'll move to the uh, Palatinate region of Germany, uh, closer to the Rhine River. Has a similar figure named Belsnickel, who travels around in disheveled furs and rags, bearing pocketfuls of candy, nuts, and cakes for good children, but has a switch with him, a beaten stick, to hit the naughty ones. Uh, almost identical figures exist in the uh, Alsace region, going by Hans Tropp. And there's also a Swiss representation known as Schmutzli. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. <laughs> That's a fun name. <laughs> yeah, it's just pretty much the same thing, but what a great name. Yeah. Uh, now, the French have a figure named Père Fouetard, who dispenses lumps of coal or whippings to naughty children. It literally means Father Whipper. Or Old Man Whipper. Or Old Man Whipper. Which is um, a great band name. If we yeah. start a band name, like, write down Old Man Whipper. Well, that would require the talent at playing instruments. We'll which, figure it out. Yeah, we'll auto-tune it. <laughs> So, Père Fouettard dispenses lumps of coal or whippings to naughty children, while St. Nicky dispenses gifts and sweets to the good ones. He's said to dress in dark robes, he has a scraggly, unkempt beard and long hair, and the darkest origin story comes from as far back as 1150. Now, this is going to sound a little familiar. Where an innkeeper captures three wealthy boys who are on their way to enroll in a religious boarding school. Along with his wife, he drugs the children, robs them, slits their throats cuts them to pieces, and stews them in a barrel. Now, much like that happy little story from the St. Nicholas hagiography. Now, St. Nicholas again shows up, 
discovers the crime, resurrects the kid, and there are two versions of the story where it goes further. Now, Père Fouetard either repents and becomes St. Nicholas's partner, or St. Nick forces him to become his eternal assistant as punishment for his crimes. Now, apparently, actually, this story seems to have made its way across the Atlantic, because in the last couple centuries, a figure named Spanky has become a part of folklore in Cajun communities in the southern U.S. So, accompanying Santa Claus, well, here comes Spanky to hit the naughty kids. Now, finally, we have the most problematic of these little helper figures, Zwarte Piet. Oh, um, man. Yeah, this one's going to Oh, get a, boy. The, 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 roots, the roots are innocent enough, but it gets a little dicey. Now, this figure... Uh, even that's... Like, uh, okay, here we go. Here this we go. figure, whose name translates to Black Peter, comes from the Low Countries, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, and Luxembourg, and is said to function much like the other figures we've just mentioned, helping St. Nick dispense treats to good kids and handing down an ass-whooping on the shitty ones. Yeah, just uncork some, some beatings on some little punks. Now, the, the, origin, the first mentions of, of Black Pete go all the way back to about the 15th or 14th centuries, where he is meant to climb down the chimney... And, is co- and gets his name because he's covered in ashes from the fire. And, you know, the ashes smeared on his face. Uh, but this little view of Black Pete is kind of overwritten in about the early 19th century, where a very popular book by a fellow named uh, Jan Schenkman describes him as a Moor from Spain. And the Moors were African Muslims. And... Uh, that is when the blackface got started. That's when the blackface that's, starts. Yeah, that's when it gets a little minstrel show and that's becomes when, really not cool. It just goes straight Al Jolson. Yep. yep. And, so, and they, they still fucking do it. Well, yeah, we're going to get to that. <laughs> so in addition to the, in addition to the, the, the god-awful blackface, uh, people dressed as, as Black Pete wear colorful Renaissance attire, curly wigs, and bright red lipstick. Um, and now more, some more recent portrayals of Pete have gone back to using ashes on the face, more in line with the roots of the character. But there's still a lot of places where it's a very... there's still a bunch of dudes with afro wigs and, yeah. like, big, like, big, just bright red lipstick. And like, it's still a very Al Jolson-esque approach to the character. It's not cool. But a poll taken early this year had 88% of Dutch people surveyed saying that they didn't find the blackface offensive. And that they don't associate Pete with being African or Afro-Caribbean, so I guess make of that what you will. So, we're going to step away from Santa's Little Helpers. Here we're going to go to some other uh, customs and traditions around the world. We're going to start with one that's a little closer to, you know, the land of my origins. We're going to Wales. We're going to look at the Mari Lewid. Uh, now, the Mari Lewid is a Welsh Christmas wassailing folk custom found in the southern part of Wales... Uh, which focuses on a horse's skull. I mean, uh, Lewid is the the gray mare. Mm-hmm. Uh, a horse's skull affixed to the top of a pole, decorated with ribbons and with the bearer hidden under a big draping of cloth. Um, and some villages actually held the tradition of keeping the skull buried throughout the year to be dug up upon the outs- uh, onset of the Christmas season. Now, the name of the custom comes from either, as you mentioned, the Welsh words for gray mare or as a reference to Holy Mary. Um, there are two different translations of Marie Lewid. Um, and now the equine beast uh, represents the donkey that Mary, the mother of Jesus, rode on during her and Joseph's, fl- uh, Joseph's flight to Egypt. Now, during this ritual, groups of men would bear the hellish hobby horse around the town, 
some of them dressed as stock characters such as Punch and Judy, others bearing instruments, all of them covered in ribbons, paper flowers, and sashes. A bunch of Dutch guys showed up in Afro wigs and said they weren't racist. Yeah, and then we had a good old-fashioned West Side Story moment. <laughs> uh, and they would go to local houses requesting entrance through the medium of a song known as the Puinko... I think that's you that's guys got to see how these words are spelled. It's not fair to it's judge nothing us on but this. consonants. It's it's unbelievable. That word, it, like that word alone, has like thirty seven letters in it. Yep. There, there's not a single vowel. Um, and it would begin with the lyrics. And if we have any Welsh listeners out there, sorry, I I, I will <laughs> happily accept your letters of complaint. They go, Hueldima nintwad, kifelan dinuad, iofen amgenar, iofen amgenar, iofen amgenar iganu. Uh, well, here we come, innocent friends, to ask leave, to ask leave, to ask leave to sing. So it's very lighthearted, it's, and the householders are expected to deny them entry, again through the medium of song, and back and forth they would sing until the homeowners eventually relent and invite the men in to give them food and alcohol. Uh, this ritual probably has roots in the pre-Christian period, and that managed to survive, uh, to survive the Christianization of Wales during the Dark Ages. Current theories are that it was originally a Samhain tradition, um, meant to, through the use of a massive horse's skull, help to keep, and, and the use of, of instruments and bells and such to keep evil spirits at bay. Um, but over the millennia, it's blended in with the winter holiday and, and has kind of lost any religious significance it may have had. It's it's a purely, you know, it's a, it's, it's a purely kind of worldly form of celebration. Right. And it's simply become a, a more heavy metal form of caroling. Mm-hmm. Um, the Welsh do love some singing. They really, really do. They, they are really a, coal mining and they singing. They are a singing people. If you've ever heard the Welsh national anthem, it might be the most beautiful national anthem ever written. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, Land, Land of My Fathers is, is a gorgeous, gorgeous song. So, yeah. But if you don't like our national anthem, then Rob, you can just get out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not fleeing. I'm pre-boarding. <laughs> right. You can just get out. So while we're on weird Christmas beasties, let's uh, let's move on to a creature called the Yule Cat. <laughs> the Yule Cat, yeah, the Yule Cat. So there's, in, there's one glaring fact about the Yule Cat that I just can't get over. We'll, we'll get to that. So <laughs> in Iceland, uh, locals and and we're getting into Icelandic Christmas now, and there's a lot to talk about with Icelandic Christmas. It's weird as shit. It's weird as shit. It's there. so fun. It's so fun. Now, in Iceland, locals are warned of the coming of the... Yeah, here we go again. The Jolokutren, or the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat is a monster from Icelandic folklore. A huge and vicious kitty cat. It's, to, it's a house cat, just real big. Yeah. Like, it's not like a lion or anything. It's straight up house cat, just real big. It's a six-foot-long kitty... <laughs> it's a six-foot-long Maine Coon. It's, <laughs> it's just a kitty cat. It's a little kitty. It's a huge and vicious cat said to lurk around the snowy countryside at Christmas time. And it would eat those who had not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. New clothes, people. Well, new, new clothes. clothes. <laughs> well, we're getting to why that is. <laughs> See, the threat of being eaten by the Yule Cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool because right. the number one uh, form of uh, form of animal husbandry in Iceland is sheep farming. That's why the Iceland. Uh, you know, that's why the Iceland. And you go to Iceland, you can buy all those really nice sweaters. Um, and so it was to incentivize them to finish the process in the autumn wool before Christmas. And those who took part and finished their work would receive new wool clothes as a sort of Christmas bonus. 
whereas those who didn't take part or didn't pull their weight would get nothing, thereby becoming prey for the Yule Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking home and, oh, no kidding. Oh, that's getting big. Oh, he getting oh, close, isn't he? Uh, oh, boy. Uh, so a recent... Shit, I shouldn't have worn this. I shouldn't have worn this. <laughs> uh, a more recent, gentler interpretation of the Yule Cat has him eating the food of those who were without new clothes during Christmas feasts. Fuck that. Don't water it down. Yeah, because apparently even Vikings are becoming soft these days. Right. I remember the days when the Yule Cat would just straight up kill you. <sighs> Times and... have changed, man. It's all these snowflakes. Yeah. Well... At least it's seasonally appropriate. Exactly. I'm, I'm glad we got that one. <laughs> so, so, in addition to the Yule Cat, Icelandic Christmas continues to bring more fucked up figures into their folklore. It, Icelandic Christmas sucks. Like, I don't even have any record of, like, anybody getting any presents. Oh, no, they get presents, and I'm, I'm, about, I'm, I'm about to tell you why. Uh, and and yeah, more figures working into their folklore through the visitation of the Yule Lads. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. I guess technically these guys do. Is it presents or was it like candy? Um, it's candy. It's little presents. It's little gifts. Think like okay, because I had thirteen like, days of stocking stuffers. Okay, because what I what I got here was that they just gave them like candy. Yeah. Now the Yule lads or the Jonas or the Jolas Venere are thirteen mischievous pranks, pranksters and thieves that come to town one at a time in the thirteen nights leading up to Christmas, and each stays for thirteen days causing trouble whilst at the same time leaving either small gifts or rotten potatoes in the shoes that children leave out. That's awesome. Depending on their behavior throughout the year. Except for that one weird kid for whom a rotten potato is a gift. Like, what do you do then? Like, he's just beating all 13 Yule Lads at their own game. He really is. Now, so... <laughs> the Yule Lads. Uh, oh, man. Anybody you know what, that, could be our, that could be like our Christmas yeah. band. I kind of like that. I'm gonna, <laughs> Let's go caroling. We'll as, the Yule Yule Lads. Lads. as the Yule Lads. Just hammer. Just sing your song. I, I can almost guarantee I have potatoes like in the back of a cabinet here somewhere. <laughs> so, and again, if there's anybody from Iceland who's listening, I happily accept your letters of complaint for what's about to happen. Yeah, my bad, guys. Now, the Yule Lads are as follows. First, we have Stekjarstauer, or Sheepcoat Claude, who harasses sheep but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. <laughs> then we have Giliagaur, or the gully gawk, who hides in gullies, waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cowshed and steal milk. There's Stufer, or Stubby, Stubby's my dude. who is abnormally short and steals pans to eat the crust left on them. You have Schwurjuschlecker, or Spoonlicker, who steals wooden spoons to lick and is extremely thin due to malnutrition. I don't have any wooden spoons, so if that guy comes through, he's shit out of luck. <laughs> we have Potschkefil, or Pot Scraper, who steals the leftovers from pots. And then there's, and this one made me laugh longer than it should have, mm-hmm. because I'm 31. Yep. The Askelaker, or the Bowl Licker, who hides under beds. Waiting for people to put down their ashgurs, which are wooden bowls with lids, which he then steals. Then there's Hurdeschkeler, or door slammer, who likes to slam doors. And I want to know what bills he's paying in my house to be slamming Slamming doors. doors. That's what I want to know. He likes to slam doors, especially in the night. Then there's Schkirgammer, or Schkirgobbler, who has a great affinity for Schkir, the Icelandic yogurt that's typically served with milk and sugar. And I actually get that because I've had skier and it's very tasty. It's very good. 
Then there's, and again, another name that shouldn't have made me laugh as much as it did. Yeah, this one, it's, it's just, if you don't laugh at this, maybe this is not the podcast for you. Bugnacraker, or Sausage Swiper, who hides in the rafters and snatches sausages that are being smoked. There's Glugaglager, or Window Peeper, a snoop who looks through windows in search of trinkets to steal. He is uh, currently uh, serving time in San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> the allegations recently came to light. <laughs> There's Gatteschnefer, or Doorway Sniffer, who has an abnormally large nose and an acute sense of smell, which he uses to steal Lofebrote, which is an Icelandic Christmas bread like a thin fried pancake. There's, I've never had that, but it does sound delicious. It does sound really tasty. It sounds really good. I've had like other like crepey kind of things, and they're almost always delicious. Supposedly, it's like a sweet variation on Native American fry bread. Have you ever had that? Yeah. yeah that's super it's, good. It's like really thin fry bread that they yeah. they'll, they'll put like sugar and honey on and, and like sprinkle nuts on it and stuff. Well, that the, sounds delicious. Ooh, oh, God damn it. I'm hungry now. Yeah. So then there's cat croaker, or meat hook, who uses a hook to steal hams and legs of mutton. And finally, there's Kerteschneeker, or Candle Stealer, who follows children in order to steal their candles and eat them. And is, that's going to sound weird, but remember, the candle, candles used to be made of tallow, which is fat, mm-hmm. and were once edible. Um, now, I've looked for a whole bunch of descriptions. I've seen a dozen different descriptions of what these little guys actually look like. Everyone agrees they're short, but that's about it. So their their appearance could be anywhere from David the Gnome. You remember that cartoon? I have a great meme about David the Gnome with, yeah. with like coarse language. I will text it to you. <laughs> so yeah, anywhere from like between David the Gnome to looking like Bobo and Little Devil for nothing but trouble. Oh God. So while the Yule lads are especially now portrayed as fairly lighthearted characters, uh, they are the sons of two far darker creatures, and that brings us to. Grilla, the troll, and her husband, Lepalothi. Uh, now, without a doubt, they are Iceland's most hideous... Um, well, I've heard trolls, I've heard ogres. We're just going to call them... Let's call them trolls. So, Grilla... It, it seems pretty on brand with yeah. Iceland. So, Grilla has three heads, three eyes in each head, horribly long-curved fingernails, icy blue eyes, horns like a goat, ears that dangle to her shoulders and are attached to her nose in the front... And teeth that are said to be like burnt rocks in a grate and a beard like matted yarn on a weave. She's said to have 15 tails, each tail containing 100 sacks and each sack containing 20 children. But she has a great sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Must love dogs. Swipe right. Now, all this this comes to us from the uh, Stirlinga saga from the 15th century. Um, and said that all of these children in the in the tail sacks are constantly screaming their heads off, announcing her presence with just a wall of noise. Uh, she killed and ate her first husband, the troll Guster, as well as her second husband, the ogre Boli. Um, her third and present husband, Lepalothi, is apparently of a similar appearance without the tail sacks full of children and is generally nearby where Grilla appears. And together, they've had 20 children, 13 of which are the Yule Lads. It's also said that the Yule Cat is Grilla's pet. <laughs> so she's used as a boogeyman figure to frighten naughty children into behaving, and is said to take children in the night into those tail sacks to wander the wastes of Iceland eternally. So 
cat-loving giantess just breaks into your house and steals or eats your children. Merry Christmas, everyone! <laughs> well, let's, let's get to the last figure that I want to talk about. And I know you know who this is. Everybody. You, everybody, you know everybody us. You've got to know who this now. one is. You've got to know it. So that's going to come. You, know, you guys know we're just going to wrap it up. Yeah. <sighs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we're going to talk... About Krampus. The Krampus. Krampus. Now, Krampus is our absolute favorite dark Christmas figure. It's it's so good. We, we Krampus is we just so We celebrate Krampus on a, on a, a yearly now. Uh, now, Krampus takes the form of a horned anthropomorphic goat demon with cloven hooves and is the counter to St. Nicholas. Celebrated in the Alps regions of Bavaria, Austria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Slovenia, and Hungary... Krampus has long fangs, a lolling tongue, and carries heavy manacles hung with bells for added effect. He also carries rutin, uh, bundles of birch branches which, with which to beat naughty children, and a sack or basket strapped to his back that he uses to cart off evil children for either drowning in nearby alpine lakes, just fucking eating them, or transport to hell. Yeah, just takes him right back to his sweet studio apartment in hell. Yeah. Uh, now, in less threatening folklore, Krampus dispenses switches and coals into the shoes of naughty children as a warning to improve their behavior or as a tool for their parents to hand down the ass whooping while his goody two-shoes boss, St. Nick, fills the good shoes kids with pres- uh, good kids' shoes with presents. Now, the first mentions of Krampus go back to about the 17th century, but it's highly likely that the origins of the Krampus figure go way, way further back than that, probably into pre-Christian times. But the celebration of Krampus in the modern age, this one I found kind of fun. In the 19th century, young men would stand in the town square dressed as Krampusse, waiting to be hired to come to houses to put the fear of God into children. That's so awesome. That's great. I love that so much. Maybe we could put that on Craigslist or something. I got an idea. I got an idea. We can make some cash. Just yeah, it's a quick grab. Anyway, no, this is our intellectual property. Anybody listening, do not get ahead of us. I on will this. sue the shit out of you. Yeah. We already had our yeah. lawyer on one of the episodes. We'll take. <laughs> it's your sister, so there might be a conflict of interest there. It's, I don't well, know. Okay, fine. Then she's your well, lawyer. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure yeah it she's out. your lawyer. It's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Now and also since the 1800s, greeting cards with photos of Krampus introduced with "Gruß vom Krampus" or "Greetings from Krampus." <laughs> Featuring him looming menacingly over children or pursuing buxom women. Now, these cards have been exchanged in Europe, usually bearing humorous or naughty rhymes and poems. Um, Some people say that Krampus is actually an incubus or a demon that seduces mortal women to impregnate them with their demonic seed and bring about the birth of the Antichrist. Uh, which is probably why the Catholic Church forbade the raucous celebrations (laughs) and suppressed these practices for many years. Although they didn't, uh, they rarely fully succeeded. Krampus ain't a player; he just crush a lot. Krampus finds a way. <laughs> now, fa- and this is one thing I really love: fascists in World War II Europe found Krampus despicable because he was considered to be a creation of the left-wing Social Democrat Party. <laughs> so Krampus pisses off Nazis, which is as good a reason as any to celebrate him every year. Let's, yeah, let's keep the Krampus in Krampus knocked. Yeah, <laughs> keep Krampus in Krampus knocked. Now, the Austrian government distributed pamphlets in the 1950s stating the evil of Krampus and the celebrations of him. Uh, now, in modern times, especially in Europe, they, eh, things are a little tamer here in the States when, when we do a Krampus knock. But 
Uh, drunken men dressed as devils take over the streets for a Krampuslauf, or a Krampus run, to chase people, particularly young women, through the streets, whipping them fairly gently, may I point out. Yeah, I mean, they're not, it's, they're not being dicks about it, yeah. but they're kind of being dicks about it. And there's... So one American tourist posted a review of a Krampuslauf in Salzburg, Austria. Oh, no. I love this. Oh, no. Please tell me they just, like, wandered into this situation. They kind of did. Oh, God, They yes. kind of did, but... Oh, God, yes. <laughs> the heading was, came upon Krampusnacht by mistake, but stayed for a great time. So, and it said, Krampus will hit you. <laughs> but they aim for the legs that it only stings for a second. And also, while most of the Krampuses seemed con- content to harass the crowd on foot, some rode in large carts or trucks, shooting flames and bellowing smoke. <laughs> a particularly large and frightening Krampus chased down an offending teenager who was jeering them from the crowd, threw him to the ground, and sat on his chest. <laughs> the boy looked terrified and near tears. Some people were caught unawares and tried to flee into shops and restaurants, only to p- be pursued and confronted by a determined Krampus who was unafraid to follow them in. It was awesome. <laughs> and on a very, very pleasing note, North American Krampusnacht celebrations are exploding in recent years, especially here in Pittsburgh. Due in no small part to our tireless efforts in telling people about how much fun we have drinking. Oh, it's fun. a great time. It's an absolute great time. Every year it happens in downtown. Our friends Slayer play. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of look like the Bloody Seaman. They kind of look like the Bloody Seaman. Yeah, they, they, we should probably take the Bloody Seaman guy to that show. I think they would really like it. Yeah, that. I think they'd dig the hell out of it. I mean, they're always busy that night. So that's the story of Krampus. Now, before we wrap up today, I just have a few little stingers about some other weird Christmas traditions around okay. the world. I have a couple. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start in Japan, where the most popular place to eat on Christmas Eve is KFC. Reservation only. Yeah, so much so that orders have to be placed weeks in advance. Many locations require reservations for seating, and on several occasions, the police have to be dispatched to assist with crowd control. And I mean, I just had KFC like before work, like two days ago, and i got to tell you, it was delicious. Absolutely I delicious. I haven't had KFC in a very oh, long time. Man, I'm telling you. Tell so, you, the five-buck box, oh, yeah. you get side, you get a biscuit, you get a cookie. Oh, can't beat it. <laughs> this is, uh, this this is not a, this a, ad for KFC. Yeah, it's brought to you by Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am not sponsored by KFC, but I do wholeheartedly endorse their chicken. Yes. It is delicious. So in Catalonia, in northern Spain, a primary decoration in each household is the jagatillo, or the shitting log. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of weird scatological Catalonian yeah. Christmas traditions. I don't Yeah, there's get supposedly it. a little figure that's supposed to go into each um, nativity crash. It's, it's in an actual shit. nativity in yeah. the church. Yeah. There's a dude that he, he plays in the, like, whenever they do a live yeah. nativity, he just stands in the corner and then shits. <laughs> like, so, what is going on? The cacatillo starts with a hollowed out log. It's propped up on four little leg like sticks, and then it's painted with a face on one end. And every night, beginning on December oh, 8th, oh, adorable. <laughs> cacatillo is fed, basically, meaning they shove food or something up the back end, and he's covered with a blanket so he doesn't catch a cold. And on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, Cacatillo is put in the fireplace, beaten with sticks by the children, and ordered to poop. He is There's a poop song, for Christ's sake. And I have the lyrics. I know. He is, this is so weird. Is it's incur- like really cute. And too. I have the lyrics in English and in Catalan. Oh my god. So he is encouraged, along with the beating, by singing a song with catchy lyrics such as Cacatillo, Cacatoro, 
Avellane si matto, sino cagas be, y dare un cop de basto, cagatillo, which means poop, log, poop tarone, hazelnuts, and cottage cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick, poop log. What kind of sick son of a bitch is cramming cottage cheese up a log's ass for it's, eight oh, okay, days? Okay, so it's a then... different kind of cottage cheese than we get here in the United I States. I don't care. It's, I it's... don't care at all. I have. I, I used this to will work, not stand. I used to work in a Spanish restaurant. I've had this, and it's absolutely <laughs> delicious. And so when he's done crapping out eight-day-old room temperature cheese jammed up a lot, as you people are sick. No, this is the crowning fucking glory right here. So when he's done crapping out candies, nuts, and dried fruit, and and other sweet offerings, Cagatillo will then give one last push to reveal an onion, a head of garlic, or a salted herring. <laughs> I hate Spain. <laughs> I hate Spain. I'm over it. Well, I think this is the driving force behind the Catalonian independence movement. I really do. <laughs> is you, you'll, you'll take my shitting log out of my cold, dead you know, hands. I'm over it now. I'm just <laughs> over Spain altogether. All right, well, we're done with Spain. Let's move to Sweden. Okay. So in Sweden, we have the town of Gavle, uh, where every year since 1966, a 13-meter-tall goat made of straw has been erected in the town square. Um, in 1966, at the stroke of midnight on Christmas Eve, Vandals lit the goat aflame, and it burned down completely. Now, next year, the goat was reconstructed, and again, it burned. And so it has happened every year since, despite police standing guard. And for two years, and for two years, there was even the presence of the Swedish army. <laughs> and it, the damn thing was still burnt down. Now, not one year has gone by where the vandals have failed to set this go to light. So much so it's that like Ocean's Eleven, so <laughs> <laughs> really like snap is. cuts and like. All this kill, these dudes get into wacky capers. <laughs> if Brad Pitt's in this town, you know shit's getting real. The Girl with the Burning Goat, the book that Steve Larson never wrote. <laughs> so not one year has gone by where the vandals have failed to set the goat alight. So much so that bookmakers take bets every year as to the time, date, and method by which the goat is burned. There were several years in a row where the thing was set alight by flaming arrows. Yep. I shit you not. Now, since 1966, only one person has been caught for setting the goat alight. This is in 2001, when a 51-year-old tourist from Cleveland, Ohio... God bless him. <laughs> ...served 18 days in jail and paid $20,000, or 100,000 Swedish kroner at that time, wow. in damages. And then we have... Uh, now we're going to go across the ocean to Oaxaca, Mexico... Where every December 23rd, the celebration of Noche de Rabanos, or Night of the Radishes, takes place. Where a festival is held in the town square featuring a contest where radishes are carved into festive sculptures and scenes. Hundreds of contestants compete every year and tens of thousands of people attend. It sounds real dumb, but like Google it. Yeah. Look at these pictures. It's impressive. They're amazing. Out of Radishes. They're amazing. A lot of radishes. And yeah. like, you look at them and you don't really get a scale idea. Does it? Oh, the dog's awake. Um, you don't really get an idea of uh, scale until you realize, holy shit, it's a radish. Yeah. But they're unbelievable. Yeah, some of them Google real works hard. Google, I'm telling you, Google that shit. And we're going to wrap up with um, a little tradition from Germany. And I should point out I added this just because of the name. Okay. And just because, much like the names of a couple of the uh, Yule Lads, it made me laugh when I really shouldn't have been. Bellsnickel's a funny name. Bellsnickel's a funny name. Um, Which I only knew about because of The Office. Like, I'm, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but that's how I learned about it. What do you say? It's like Santa Claus, well, no, only dirtier well, and worse? No, actually, that's interesting <laughs> you bring that up, because the figure of Bellsnickel 
was act, has actually been celebrated in like P, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country. Right, they still do it. And they which still celebrate it makes Bell's sense Yeah, that it, okay. Now the celebration takes a hundred different forms now because that's what a few hundred years of history does to you sometimes. Right. But Bell's Nickel is still a, a familiar folkloric figure in, in, with the Pennsylvania Dutch. And now finally, so in Germany, children on Christmas morning take part in a tradition called Hide the Pickle. <laughs> Now you can see why I picked it. <laughs> this is a game I've played myself on a few occasions in my life. Where, where a pickle ornament is hidden somewhere on the Christmas tree. And the first child to find it receives a quote. And the, the quotes were in the article. Special gift. And good fortune in the coming year. I have a confession to make. I have one. You have a pickle ornament? Yep. Yep. I didn't I think I was going to say this on the podcast, but yeah. I guess we're playing hide the pickle. We're playing hide the pickle. I have a pickle order. Chris, I wouldn't play hide the pickle with anyone but you. Oh, but Merry Christmas, man. Bless you, man. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's our that's our uh, Christmas special. Man, Christmas is weird as shit. Christmas is weird as shit. Christmas is weird no, as shit. No, Christmas worldwide is weird as shit. Christmas here is way too tame. We need to start making Christmas weird again. Okay. All right. I mean, we're doing our Krampus knock thing, but I. Like, that's uh, yeah, work, dude. We, we have been doing our part. Yeah, we've been spreading the word. We had we had a bunch of friends come this year. There had to be close to two thousand people there this year. It was, oh, it was great. Nuts. That it was, was great. Bananas. I just wanted to keep growing and growing and growing. And we I want them to move actually, it. How cool would that be? No, I want them to actually let us hit people with sticks, though. I'm bringing switches. I'm bringing. A, I'm we bringing gotta a, get. Some I'm bringing switches. a rooting bundle next time. Okay. Yeah, you can get. You can we get gotta them. step it up, man. You can get them at Michael's Crafts because yeah, we've been doing like the punk rock Krampus and it's worked, but like it's been fun. It's it's trying to too much. I think yeah. Next think year, a little less to... mad elf, so that the next day isn't so bad. Eh, we're probably not going to follow that one. Oh, That's absolutely not. Going to do a bunch of mad elf. But we, uh, like, I think we got to go. We got to get masks and shit now and sticks. Nice. Maybe a sack of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely buying like a, a doll to put in the sack. Nice. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. So yeah, that's well, we got a year to think about. So. Yeah. That's our Christmas special, everybody. Um, if you want to find us out there on social media, Chris, where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter at t- Podcast TRR, on Facebook and YouTube. All you have to do is search Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. And on Instagram, you can search the official TRR Pod Instagram page, the only podcast that has a dog in the kitchen, so they wrote him in as part of the show. Yep. And uh, that would be Jack, our canine outreach ambassador. Yeah, today I put a. Like the antler, like the one antler from the Grinch. Mm-hmm. What, the, what was it, Grinch's dog's name? Max. Max. Yeah, I had one of those on him, and I put it on. And he just froze. <laughs> he just like totally froze, and I couldn't get him to get off the couch. He hates it. So I'm probably gonna put it back on him for a, for a quick, quick pick. Cool. I'd say do it. I, I, I like the Grinch's style, man. Yeah. I like the Grinch's style. I just watched the the Grinch cartoon again for the first time in like a long time. I gotta tell you. Some good Christmas shit. Yeah. Like, the older I get, the more I empathize with them, man. That's all I'm saying. I want to live alone with my dog too. Yeah, and just like like sneer at everybody and mm-hmm. hope bad things happen to him. I get it. All I have to do is get a dog, and I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, social media. Where can they find us? Uh, yeah, so you hit us at all of the above, and then uh, if you want to drop us a line, uh, go ahead to. Yell at us uh, on trrpod at gmail.com. That's so, right. Like, like, if you hear anything we might have missed, uh, anything we might have to redact, or uh, I probably apologize for. Oh, speaking of, uh, last episode about our ladies, I mentioned that I had a friend who uh, 
is competitive slingshot. He's a slingshot guy. Mm. Uh, we weren't sure if it was the Bart Simpson or the David and Goliath that Annie the Goats uh, concert used. And... Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson. Really? Yeah, because they said they would have explicitly said sling if it wasn't a slingshot. They hmm. said they either would have called it a slingshot or a catapult. They said if you use that, it's definitely the Bart Simpson kind. Okay. So we learned something. Yeah. See, you're learning things, but we're learning them too. We, every day we want to learn something new and weirder shit. Yep. So yeah, you can find you can find me, Rob, on Instagram at Meatneck. You can find me on Twitter at Meatneck too. I got some time off over the holidays. Maybe I'll actually post some shit. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, that could be fun. See, I don't have any time off over the holidays. I have yeah. the day off and then the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although you are going to be joining my family on on Christmas, I think. Yeah, I, I picked up a little something for Devin Byrne. Cool, Devin the Byrne. Byrne. Uh, so I uh, I went to the mall and got all my shopping done in yeah. one day. And uh, I don't know why I do that to myself, but it's something that I do. <laughs> Chris to sent me a text going, "I'm going to the mall." <laughs> to do my Christmas shopping I'm not leaving until I'm done if I fall no I die gloriously I will see you in Valhalla <laughs> and that that is our friendship right there it really is so Chris if people want to find you and creep on you a little bit we're gonna if you want to creep on me and Jack uh, who it, I think he's the only dog in the world that doesn't have his own Instagram page yeah. but, but if you want to find me go ahead and just look up the old nightlife commando that's correct and, uh, of course, if you want to keep up with our pirate adventures, you can find us on Twitter at PGH Renegades or follow uh, Renegades of the Rotunda on Instagram. Yeah, that's a good... That's, the Instagram is definitely the way to go for that one. Yeah. We used like to post Instagram. a lot on Facebook until Facebook changed the algorithms. <laughs> now you got to pay for everything. Yep. So, we link to it. I mean, if you guys want to follow us on Facebook, that's rad, but like the other ones are definitely the way to go. Yeah, so um, as always, special thanks to Jack, our canine outreach, outreach ambassador, for only walking around on the hardwood floor a little bit. He always hits it around like the 35 minutes. He really, right? really does. He's actually a better timer than we have ourselves. Right. Uh, special thanks, as always, to the Bloody Seaman for letting us use their tunes. Follow them on social media. Give their albums Ahoy Motherfuckers and Sail Hate and a Listen. They are absolutely awesome. Uh, thanks to our friend Slayer for the awesome time at Krampus Knocked. Yeah, that's still super fun. I know it was a couple weeks ago, but I just, I, it was great. Next yeah. year, we're definitely doing this. And uh, thanks Party to all bus. of our friends and family who have reached out with good wishes uh, during the holiday season. To all of our friends who celebrate Hanukkah, we hope you had a good one with your friends and your family. To all of our friends out there who are going to be celebrating Christmas. We wish you a very Merry Christmas. For all of our friends out there who celebrate all other things, the Festival of Yule, I raise a horn to you. I wish you a very blessed Yule this year. So the next episode, we don't know what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, we're taking a little bit of time off over the holidays. We're just yeah. going to kind of just reload. About an extra, just about an extra week. Not that much yeah. time, but just a little time for us to get our shit together. Because we got some good shit yeah. coming up. We got some irons in the fire, baby. Yeah, we got some big announcements coming for the new year. After uh, In our first episode of the new year, we're going to drop some info about that. Um, Chris, I think uh, I'd like to take the time in this season of Yule to raise our ale. To you, sir, I say, wassail. Wassail. Mm, delicious, delicious holiday beer. This is my favorite time of year for beer, man. And to all of you I'm out there as well, as come. listening, I give you a hearty wassail as well. Be well. Look out for each other. If you're traveling, travel safe. Whether you be hanging out with your given families, with your chosen families, whatever it may be. Ho, ho, hold fast.